Well, uh, hello, everybody. Uh, hello to those of you online and, and watching TV, whatever screen you're looking through, everyone east. Uh, we're opening up a brand new series, and I could talk to you, and, and we just share some pleasantries and all that kind of fun stuff. I'm not in the mood for just short talk, so here's what I want to do. I want to take you straight to the Bible and show you something that I think relates to you. Here we go. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's, or Yehoiakim, whatever you want to say, reign in Judah, king, name your next kid, of Babylon, <laughs> came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Why I'm showing you this, and, and I'll walk you through this, is this last part. This king went to another place uh, and besieged it and took it over. That's a bad day, right? We all would admit that that's that's like our worst nightmare. Uh, maybe you've never had the nightmare, and now you do. You're welcome. So there, that, that's the idea that all of a sudden you're living in your home, everything's normal, and all of a sudden another group of people come in and quite literally take you over. What that is called in life class is a crisis. And so let me give you the definition, and this is why I think I, we're in a part of the Bible that we're all going to be like, I totally relate to that. Crisis by definition. A time of intense difficulty or trouble. A time which most crisis moments aren't like, yeah, I, it happened and then it was gone. I didn't even notice it. So time meaning that there's some elapsed time. It goes on for some sort of time. And it's this difficulty or, or this, this trouble. Yay, crisis. No, there, there's crisis or crises that, that, that we're like, uh, they're a big deal. But then there are some that seem like a big deal that later aren't. Let me take you into my home, literally. Not super long ago, it came time to replace our dishwasher. Now, now. Just for those of you who are like, are you serious? You have a dishwasher? Yes, we do, okay? Don't judge if you don't have one. Uh, I grew up with one, so I cannot live without one. That's how that works. So the dishwasher was broken. Now, broken to the sense of, yes, it technically operated, okay? I just feel like i got to give you full disclosure. Yes, it technically operated after you took the pliers and were able to twist it enough for it to turn on. So you had no idea really what setting you were setting it on. You just literally twisted, twisted. Oh, it started. Good. Uh, do whatever you're going to do. Run for as long as you can do. And so we did that for a while. And there came a point where I was like, uh, no more. This, no more. So I went and bought a dishwasher. And I had concluded in my heart that I could install a dishwasher. I don't know why some of you are laughing in the room with me. I, I don't know what I said that was funny. Uh, but anyways, so I removed the existing broken dishwasher, take it out, put it in the garage, feel accomplished already. Go to the now hole that we have, this opening going, all right, it's time to put the dishwasher in, realizing I probably should have measured this, but anyways, they're all universal, probably, I don't know. Anyways, uh, by luck, it fit. Uh, so I, I install the dishwasher. Yes, I install the dishwasher. It even operates correctly, for those of you who were laughing earlier. I put it in, and I begin to tell my family how amazing I am. That's how it works, if you don't know this. 
uh, if you accomplish things, the older you get uh, and you do something cool, especially in your home with your family, you tell them for weeks upon weeks and you point to it and say, I, I did that. And they look at you like, who cares? Uh, <laughs> not long after, <laughs> which is why I tell you the story. Not long after, Katie tells me that there is water in the kitchen now. I'm like, of course, in the sink, right? No. There is now water all over the floor. So I'm like, well, it definitely can't be the dishwasher because I, I did that perfectly. <laughs> but maybe I should check the dishwasher. Maybe one of the kids did something that I didn't do. So anyways, so I... Uh, I uninstall the, the dishwasher. I pull the dishwasher back out and, and I look and I'm, I'm like, cause I'm a professional, uh, looking at, at the back of the dishwasher as though I have any clue of what I'm actually looking for. And just so you know, I can't find anything. Nothing is, is spraying out of the dishwasher thinking if this is the issue, that's What's happening? Meanwhile, we're in danger of the Coast Guard showing up because the water is now building in such a way, I'm telling you, it's starting to be like, this might become an expensive problem. I'm looking, I'm looking. Now, some would say, call a professional. No, okay, <laughs> no. So I began to dig around, dig around, and what I realized is this. There was this little white line that ran in the back. It was the line that ran to the refrigerator to make sure that we had ice cubes in the refrigerator. Someone, who I don't know who, pushed something sharp into that line. Again, no idea who would have done such a thing. Pierced the line, and for a certain amount of time, we were literally just spraying water for who knows how long all over the place. Uh, now, some of you are going, what? Um, did you turn the water off? No, I did not. <laughs> and have now learned that that's one of the first things that you do when you're looking for these things. So uh, don't call me to fix anything in your house. Uh, and after, I think we used every one of the towels in our house to clean this whole thing. I mean, it was, it was one of those wonderful nights where you had planned to do something else, but then you spent the rest of your night drying everything up, cleaning up, putting it all away. Now we've got laundry to do that I feel responsible to do. And it was Crisis averted till another story I'll tell you some other time about the sink. But anyways, uh, <clears throat> not important at all. What, the, the verse that I read to you was a group of people who I think were doing normal, had expectations, then all of a sudden what they thought was normal and good, all of a sudden they found themselves into a, a time of crazy difficulty and problems. That's why I think reading this to you, you're like, I relate to that because we all experience a crisis. Now, you need to know specifically the crisis that these people were experiencing because it wasn't just, oh, these bad guys came in and took us over. They had been holding on to a promise from our almighty creator. They literally lived off of it. Yet being besieged, being taken over, seemed to compromise the, well, what they've been holding on to. Here, this is what they held on to. This is, this is before their time. I will confirm my covenant. This is with God. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you. After you. So that includes them. From generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. 
And I will give you the entire land of Canaan. That's where they're pretty much at there, uh, living in that. Where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants, it will be their possession forever, forever. And I will be their God. It's a promise from God. So how would you wrestle with? You're living off of that promise. That's something you like pass down to your kids. You like hang it up. This is what God's promised us. Then all of a sudden you found yourself taken over by another kingdom, besieged. You would say, uh-oh, someone screwed up. So God's pulling back on the promise. You're going to think something. And you're going to think it in such a way that it's a crisis. That's what they're thinking. So let me take you in, and I want to begin to unfold some details that, oh, they're good. Then the king ordered, yeah, Hashmanaz, this is going to be a fun one. His chief of staff, that's what you need to know, his guy who does everything he wants done, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family. Judah's the, the, the country, the nation that just got besieged. So now the king who just took over said, all right, all right, chief of staff, I want you to go into the people that, that we've just taken over. And, and I want you to go into the royal family and other noble families who, who have been brought to Babylon as captives. I want, you, I want you to go get me those people. So listen to this. Not only were they just taken over by another country, now they're defeated. They're living in defeat. Someone else is in charge. Now some of them are getting deported. Not because they wanted to, not because they did anything wrong. They're just being now, okay, not only did we just defeat you, we're going to take some of the best of you. We're going to remove them. Can you imagine what that, that march or walk would have been like for those people being deported? They'd just been taken over, and now a foreign country has them captive and now they're being walked to who knows what. You would think maybe, maybe the question is, is it over for me? Like, like where, where, are they, where are they taking us? That's what crisis does. You encounter a crisis. Makes you think some stuff. Makes you have these fears. The ugly monsters of, of possibility come out. And uh, many of us, the reason I want to talk with you, here's what we're about to do. Um, this is not going to be a sermon series designed to necessarily uh, inspire you. It's more to equip you for crisis. It, it's more of a uh, take notes, take pictures of, of the screen, however you want to do this. It's more of a, a equip you to be able to navigate life to where, well, here, here's what I thought about the series. Instead of running from crisis, where you get ready for it. Instead of spending your, do you, okay, word of wisdom for those of us who have lived a few, few years. Um, if you're going to spend your life running from a crisis or tr attempting to run from all crises, you have just created your own crisis. <laughs> You've just decided to live in fear of the potential of what might play out. This plays out in school. If you run from all of what you are afraid of at work, with friends, uh, dating, all that kind of stuff, if you run from it, what, what, I think, what I think we can learn from the book of Daniel is how to actually get ready. Would you not rather live a lifestyle that when stuff comes your way, difficulty or trouble, that you're like, all right, I can take this. It doesn't mean that you love it. Don't get all weird on me. 
but it means that like, not only do you get to like, live through this, but, but you can walk through a crisis, demonstrate to the people around you, friends, family, kids, spouse, whoever, saying this is how we do life. We do not, we're not afraid of who's behind us. We just walk forward, that kind of life. So if you've ever wanted to be crisis prepared, this is the sermon series designed for you. So become a note taker if you aren't already. So let me show you more details. Here's what plays out. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. This is what the chief of staff is being told. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. So now they're learning this intention of indoctrination. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen. Some of you are going, I kind of like this change of scenery. Uh, No, you wouldn't. Just so you're like, I I know you're like, this sounds good, but um, right now, imagine yourself right now being removed and thrown into a country that was your enemy, and now you're being forced into this stuff. It's not as luxurious as some of the sounds. They were to be trained for three years. And then they would enter the royal service. Now, if you're new to the Bible or you just get lost like I have, like I have attention problems, you're like, what's all that just say here? I thought I'd boil it down here. Here, here's what, here's what the king wants to do. We want these people to talk like we talk, think like we think, eat like we eat. That's pretty much what he just said. We want to indoctrinate you. We want you to do what we do, think like we think, speak like we speak, eat what we, even dress the way. It's time, three-year plan to make you look exactly like us. And then, uh, so far you might be like, okay, this is tough. It's a crisis. It's a problem. But I think I can manage because you're still stuck on the king's food and wine. You're like, that just doesn't sound too bad. Uh, well, the king even, even dives into something, I'd call it very personal. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Judah's the, you know, the group that just got invaded. The chief of staff renamed him. That's where I think it gets personal. It's like, hey, cool, you know you, the, the name your mama gave you? I'm going to take that away and give you a new one. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. And if you grew up going to church in what we call Sunday school, you're going to like, oh, that's what they're called. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Their names just got changed. I'm telling you, this is, this is intense because this should actually mess with you a bit going, wow, they are completely changing their identity. I mean, you could mess with, with where someone lives. Many, many of us have, have moved. Like, all right. Many of us have had a change of leader. All right, okay, okay. But when we dive into all of a sudden, you're making me do things that I'm not sure, and now you're naming me stuff, this is a big deal. So here's why I highlight this whole book, because this book is so powerful. This book includes story after story of a guy named Daniel. That's why it's called Daniel. 
So in this, we begin to watch what Daniel does. And if you, you don't look at the Bible and say, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. Let me help. The book of Daniel, Daniel specifically, gives you and I how to walk through crisis. It doesn't have to be like, some find some article on, from Google. You, you can actually, it's, it's made out. Here's how to deal with crisis. And so, but Daniel, but Daniel, was determined not to defile himself. Defile is a big word. That was a spiritual word. That like related to God. When you're talking about defile yourself, that's like something is up with not just like, I don't like my living quarters or I don't like, no, this is something is up with me and God. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by, by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now again, let's have a summary time. Let me show you. So Daniel was told, hey, you got you to speak their language. Okay. okay, check. I'll do it. You got to serve their nation. I think some people would have bowed out here as Americans be like, no way. Daniel's like, all right, I'll serve this foreign nation that just took me over. Name change. Mm -hmm. Don't like what you picked for me. By the way, if you want to get into the, the weeds of the names, uh, the, the original names were names that honored the one and only God. The new names, just so you know, were, were designed to honor a false God. What gets me is this. So let me just open you up to, to my life and into my, my time with the Lord. Okay, I'm going through what Daniel's like. All right, cool, cool, cool. I'm fine with that. Let's do this. Let's go for this. But eat their food? No way. If, as you read the Bible, you're like, that's your biggest deal? I probably would have stopped in the names. I'm like, you're not, I don't care what you call me. My name's David, and um, that's the deal, okay? I probably would have stopped at the names, but, but Daniel, for some reason, doesn't seem to balk. In fact, if you read Daniel, Daniel, like, excels at serving this other nation. Like, he's a boss. Like, he's, like, helps grow things and make money and lead, and it's, it's amazing. But the food... The defiling, the food was an issue. I can show you different theories for those of you who think you know there is just one. There is actually not. Here's different theories. One, we wonder, is he saying this because of the kind of food that the king was offering? If you don't know enough about um, uh, Jewish culture and, and even just read some of the laws in the Old Testament, they were not allowed by ordinance from God to eat certain foods, okay? So God like, hey, that food, you may not eat it. So we wonder, it could have been that food where he's like, I, I know the kind of food, so no, that defiles me, I'm not eating it. Another theory is how the food was, was used, uh, meaning oftentimes uh, the, the food was, uh, was used as a sacrifice for fake gods, so what would happen, oftentimes they'd take the best food, they'd go kill it, you know, cook it up, offer it to a fake god, then bring that food into the king, and that's what the king would eat. And so it's possible Daniel's like, uh, this was used like to worship another god, not my god, I'm out. Or it could have been whose food it was. They sometimes would actually just leave food there, like with the false gods at the idols. Here's what we know, whatever theory. Daniel's faithfulness to God got challenged with the food. 
when all of these things were happening, all of a sudden Daniel pipes up in a way that's pretty profound where he, he, he's, he's like, wait a minute, um, this is about me and God now. This isn't about me and my comfort level. This isn't me about the kind of clothes I want to wear, the language I want to speak, or the nation I want to serve. This is, this is not about those things, exteriors. This is now about me and God. When you face a crisis, your first problem is, is it going to get between you and God? Specifically, is your crisis going to challenge your faithfulness to God. And for many of us, including your own pastor, we've all wrestled with this. We've faced the temptation or a crisis, and we've begun to back off a little bit on what we've been faithful to. Yet Daniel gives us a roadmap to not being that kind of a person. Because many of the wounds that we all carry are when we chose not to be faithful to God. And if you don't want to live that life, if you want to deal with the next crisis or the next temptation better, let's learn from Daniel. So here we go. I'm going to take you back to the Daniel 1.8 verse that I already read to you, and we're going to break it down like you've never broken down a verse. It's going to talk about integrity. So for those of you who are note takers, like I told you, you, you want to be equipped for the next crisis. One of the major issues you need to deal with is your actual integrity. Is the pressure that you're going to face in the future going to compromise your integrity? But Daniel was determined what are you determined to do? I would tell you, and this is what I teach my kids, I like my kids to predetermine stuff. We talk about, and they don't love it, especially with dating stuff. Hey, uh, when I talk to them, like, hey, here's, here's the deal. You're one-on-one you're, you're, you're one -on -one with, with a, uh, an, another one, and, uh, uh, which uh, that will happen when they're 75. And, uh, so, we're like, so what happens when you're just by yourself? Uh, what, what are you going to do? And they look at me like I'm an idiot. What do you mean? No, I'm like, no, we're going to determine right now what you're, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to live this. And they treat me like you would expect to, and yeah, okay. But I believe in the power of predetermining what you will do because that's where integrity is built. It's extremely difficult to all of a sudden determine what you're going to do in the moment because you have the pressure of the moment and the temptations of the moment. And I love what Daniel just taught us in a very simple way. He had determined, meaning he had integrity, going, yeah, I'm in this situation, and I don't like it. And in my private conversations with God, I'm like, why are you letting this happen? But in the public moments, he's going, but I have determined to still be faithful. Integrity. You need integrity in a crisis. He asked the chief of staff, I wonder, would you have done that? <laughs> You've already seen some of your friends and family be killed. Yet in this moment where, with his integrity, he's deciding, I've got to speak up about this. So he speaks up. Would you be willing to speak up in a moment, in a crisis, to where in essence you become, even if you don't feel like a leader, you step up and say, this is the right thing. I love that he asked the chief of staff because that question could have gotten him killed. Courage. Again, equip yourself. Life requires courage. Notice when he asked the chief of staff, what he asked for? Permission. What? That's humility. 
Even in the midst of his captivity, his exile, in this, all this mistreatment he's received by getting taken over, he still has maintained humility. I'll tell you, people who are arrogant do not manage crisis well. You have plenty of examples to watch that. Let me show you the last part of this verse. Uh, not to eat those unacceptable foods. That's called discipline, and that's what many of us are trying right now at the beginning of the year. Uh, we're like, this is painful. Yeah, discipline is painful. Discipline is, discipline is extremely rough. And, but, but those are, I love one verse tells you, you want to you walk through crisis with faithfulness? You look at those four things constantly in your life. If you put it in front of you, you should do that. One of my favorite examples of this is if you go to Washington, D.C. Now, follow me, because you're like, where is it in Washington, D.C.? Uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Uh, based on what I've studied and just me visiting it before, this is one of the most iconic memorials in the entire city. Most of us, if you visit this, you try to get to this. If you've never been there, you should go spend the rest of the time you have with whatever you've got today or tomorrow looking at this because it's so cool. Uh, if you wonder, I'll give you the short part of this. Since I believe the 30s, 20s and 30s, we've had soldiers guarding this tomb that has unknown soldiers. And what's cool, since the 30s, it's been 24-7. You're like, 24-7? Like, really 24-7? Uh-huh. Snowstorms, heat, hurricanes, COVID. They haven't stopped. There's so many details you should go look. It's so powerful. And, if you, and if, you, if you learn about these guys, you'll learn that the reason they're doing this is they don't want these unknown soldiers to be forgotten. It is an element of faithfulness that I find incredibly inspiring and powerful. If you want to know what faithfulness looks like, you look at the weather, you look at what's going on, you look at what you want to do. And for two years, each of these soldiers do this 24-7 all year long. It's so powerful. So cool. So don't you think Christians are at least called to the same kind of faithfulness? So let's land this. Remember these, these four things. Here, here. Faithfulness is decided before it's necessary. In just this, I've only shared such a short part of Daniel with you. There's so much more. It's going to be awesome. But we've got to start with, are you even willing to be faithful? Are you willing to be, oh, let me push in. Are you willing to be faithful to this series? Are you willing to say, you know what, I've got to be equipped because I know I'm going to face a crisis at some moment in my life. I've got to. So, so decide before all things are falling apart and all things are going wrong and they said this, they did that, or this happened. Before that, you, you predetermine, I will stay and I'm going to walk through this. Daniel models faithfulness for us. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to live in a crisis, faithfulness. Not quitting, not running, is what you need in order to even learn and do what God wants you to do. It's a lesson to learn and to continue to live out. That's why you got to take notes and look at it more. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for meeting with us and loving us and leading us. Lord, would you do a work in our hearts? Help us to be faithful, Lord. We promise that we're going to work on being faithful to you because you are so faithful to us. Thanks for this lesson, Lord. We love you. Amen.